feisty, fearless, and fair. She's an Emmy-winning journalist from the White House to war zones, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. I know your name is Rita, because your perfume is smelling sweet. And tonight on the Rita Cosby Show, some arrests are still taking place outside the Democratic National Committee headquarters in Washington, D.C. A whole bunch of Democratic lawmakers apparently were inside and suddenly 150 pro-Palestinian protesters showed up being extremely unruly, making violent threats physically trying to break in to the DNC headquarters in Washington, D.C. A number of members had to be evacuated from the area. Capitol Police then put out a statement telling everybody in the area to, quote, please stay away. A number of them were, though, inside. Congressman Brad Sherman, Democrat of California, talking about being evacuated suddenly uh, with very, very heavily uh, secured officers from Capitol Hill Police, but it just shows how heated and how emotional these protests are that are taking place all over this country, and including one now, a pro-Palestinian group calling for, quote, a ceasefire and being extremely angry outside the Democratic National Committee headquarters. This comes as some new posts have revealed some really despicable posts from Democratic Socialist Rashida Tlaib. They are praising Hamas. And some of the images, if you look at them, it's like you see them, you know, with uh, their, all their Hamas garb and everything else, holding like RPGs in their hand. And it's a private Facebook post that she's, it's a group that she's been involved with and apparently probably didn't want it to be made public. It was a, quote, private group, but uh, the cat's out of the bag now. And a lot of people are coming out and saying, how could this happen? How could a member of Congress actually be out there making these kind of vile, disgusting threats? And as we're talking about all of these security issues and all the problems that are going on, New York City is facing a dire crisis because of what's happening with the migrants and also because so many people are fleeing New York. Uh, costs are rising. People are fleeing who are paying taxes. Some of the big money earners don't want to stay in New York anymore. And it has just been announced that Mayor Eric Adams is freezing the number of NYPD officers. They're also, of course, talking about cutting back on the counterterrorism unit of all times right now, where the threat level is higher than it has ever been. Also, school safety officers The mayor came out and said, well, guess what? There won't be any school safety officers that parents are going to have to volunteer and fill in the void. That is an incredible moment. And what a sad, pathetic sign of the times that we would be looking at cutting school safety officers at a time where security issues in schools are skyrocketing, kids bringing guns to schools, and sadly all these different shootings that have taken place. This is not the time to be cutting school safety officers. It's not the time to be cutting anything tied to the NYPD. We should be increasing NYPD. We should be increasing the counterterrorism. We should be increasing school safety officers. 
this is just the definition of insanity, especially that it's happening at this specific moment. This is downright dangerous. And of course, a lot of this comes because there are skyrocketing costs also for the migrants. We are spending so much money covering the migrants. They are estimating at some point it's going to be close to $12 billion. And that is a skyrocketing amount. New York is busting at the seams. Somehow they're finding the room for more migrants. And yet they're talking about freezing NYPD, cutting school safety, cutting the counterterrorism unit. What does this say about our priorities? Not my priorities, uh, but it looks like the city's priorities. That is pathetic and downright dismal. And again, we're also talking about all these protests that have taken place all over the country, including ones that have taken place at college campuses. And today there was this really emotional hearing that took place on Capitol Hill. And it was about battling anti-Semitism. It was in the House Ways and Means Committee. And a lot of people were there. We're talking about things they can do, maybe take away some federal funds to some of these public schools that are getting monies and saying, well, maybe you don't deserve it if you're promoting hate, if you're allowing these, you know, very violent and vile comments that are coming from these protests on your college campus and you're getting federal funds, maybe it's time to crack down. And if you're getting money from regimes that maybe don't like America, maybe it's time to start blocking them. We also know that NYU, finally, two students have turned the tables and said they're going to sue NYU. They've already signaled that because they said that NYU is doing nothing to protect them as they feel not safe on campus. They feel concerned when they're walking. They know that there have been all these protests, and they said that NYU just hasn't done anything to protect them. And so they have launched what they called uh, a fight against egregious anti-Semitism that has left them, quote, under siege. And then, of course, Cornell University has had its share of problems. And today on Capitol Hill, a Cornell student testified in a very emotional way. Take a listen to what she said on Capitol Hill. My name is Talia Dror. I'm a student at Cornell studying industrial and labor relations with minors in business and legal policy. But beyond that, I am the embodiment of the American dream. I'm the child of an immigrant who fled Iran after facing religious persecution, dreaming of an America where she could openly raise a Jewish family. I grew up hearing the cautionary tales of blatant anti-Semitism, how my grandfather was stabbed for being a Jew, how my mother was called a dirty Jew on a daily basis, how my family had to pretend they weren't Jewish. But I never thought the horrific anti-Semitism they faced would follow us to the country we fled to for refuge. Wow, how emotional. And then she talked about some of the threats that she has heard on campus. This is cut number three, and this is where she talks about what has happened to her. And she says, boy, it is just so obvious that the school is doing nothing to crack down. On the morning of October 29th, the provost, in an address to concerned Jewish parents, explained that while he understands concerns for their children's physical safety, that they shouldn't be worried. Not seven hours later, Jewish students on campus received threats that said, quote, if I see another Jew on campus, I will stab you and slit your throat. 
If I see another pig female Jew, I will drag you away, rape you, and throw you off a cliff. Jews are human animal and deserve pig's death. Liberation by any means, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Quote, gonna shoot up 104 West, the kosher dining hall? Glory to Hamas, liberation by any means necessary. That night, I sat in my locked house, pondering my mortality. I knew that with my roommates and I being openly Jewish community leaders, our apartment would be one of the first targets for someone looking to actualize the threats. I thought back to the stories my mother told me growing up. How as a young child, I found so much comfort in having the privilege of being protected by a country built on the foundation of equal opportunity and individual liberty. Two days later, I got news that the threats were made by a fellow student. This wasn't far away. It was at the same school I worked my whole life to get into. The school I invested my family's hard-earned life savings to attend. The school that promised me they would uphold a community of belonging. Universities have failed to uphold their self-proclaimed values of equity and belonging when it comes to Jewish students. The hypocrisy is glaring. Wow. Very emotional. Again, a student there at Cornell. And this is also how she described what some of the professors did. Uh, That makes it even more disgusting. Students at rallies chant genocidal phrases, like from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. This is a chant that calls for the elimination of the state of Israel and all 7 million Jews inside of it. This is a chant that calls for a second holocaust. Students scream Antifada revolution, calling for deadly terror attacks on civilians. A Cornell professor announced that he was exhilarated and energized by the Hamas attacks. By the murder of my family and friends. Wow. Saying that he was exhilarated by the attacks on October 7th. And if it wasn't painful enough just listening to that, during the hearing today, uh, an anti-Israeli protester interrupted the hearing. Listen to this moment. This is cut number six. Take a listen. This is... On Capitol Hill, they're talking about anti-Semitism, and then this happens. Committee will be in order. And it is an honor to bring my experiences before you today. Although I had hoped... Mr. Agrijak, we'll, we'll keep trying. Thank you, Chairman Jordan, Ranking Member Nadler, and members of the committee. Palestinians deserve to speak on the genocide of their Palestinian students deserve to speak on the the genocide of their families. Stop silencing Palestinian students. That is unbelievable. They can't even speak without having these people interrupt them. And boy, the protesters, it's not like they're uh, weeping willows either. You know, I mean, they're out there all over the streets tonight. They are causing chaos on Capitol Hill where Capitol Police officers had to come out. What do we do? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to, let's go to Larry, line four. Larry, your thoughts. Hi, Rita. Listen to me. You cannot 
even though these people appear to be very evil, they're duped, they're fooled, okay? The fourth is the U.S. government is promoting a two-state solution for a people that do not have legal claim to the land. And I'm just going to say why, very simply. I actually don't, Larry, Larry, I don't want to get into the the, in the weeds. I understand the history. Hang on a second. I've spent a lot of time over there. What I want to do is talk about the problem now. What do we do now? Because you're right. uh, President Biden just came out again and reiterated the two-state solution. They can't even think about a two-state solution. They're trying to make get through the Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza. All right. You have to make it clear to these people that what Israel is doing is they're liberating the Palestinian people from from a terrorist organization, which is sure suicide for them. Because in the end, they're all going they're all going to die anyway. If they have their hospitals occupied by terrorists, what does that say about about the the the, uh, the, the terrorist organization that's fighting for their so-called rights? Does that if, if if that organization is so illegitimate that they have to fuse themselves with uh, next to incubators? Does, what does that say for the cause in general? Uh, it, 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 it says nothing for the cause. I it agree, the I, but but the problem is, Larry. So we, Larry, we you have had to address that. I but you know what we have to do, Larry, and I think you're hitting on something really important. What has to happen, and I'm, and, and I don't know how we turn the corner to make this happen because I think you're, you're spot on. What needs to happen to get the good Palestinian people who are, quote, being used as human shields, like you said, they're, they're right underneath the hospital, uh, the Hamas's, and they're obviously putting these people in harm's way. They know what's going on, but yet, um, they haven't really spoken out against Hamas. I mean, I do understand why it's a very tough thing to do. The minute you start criticizing Hamas, you may not be on this planet much longer. Uh, I'm sure they would not like uh, Hamas criticism in any shape or form. But uh, how do we get the good people of the world to bandy together to say Hamas is the evil ones? It's not Israel. What do we do? How do you make that happen, Larry, real quick? I'll, I'll, OK, you published it. There was there was something I saw. There was a scene I saw where there was a, there was a Palestinian lady crouched next to a, a child who, who was who was buried in the rubble. And she tried to yell out in Arabic that it was the fault of Hamas. And a man next to her put his, his hand over her mouth because that is instant death. There's no trial. That's instant death. You have to get the world to know that these people are being terrorized by their own people. And a lot of them are being brainwashed because terrorists being terrorized and brainwashed are very close. If, in other words, if you don't want to be opposed to them, you let yourself be brainwashed. This is a brainwashed population and a terrorized population. I'm talking about the Palestinians of Gaza. And they're being liberated from their terror. But there's a cost to pay, and the cost is, is at the hands of the world for promoting this this two-state solution that has no bearing in reality, okay, in legality. I, by the way, and also separate than all that, it is not the time to be talking about it, too. Um, I hear what you're saying from the historical, but also even realistically to say, okay, uh, we're just going to go back to living. I mean, they keep talking about this two-state solution. Uh, Israel is trying to get through uh, killing the terrorists. They have a very quick at-hand mission right now that's much more urgent than thinking even about a two-state solution. How can they think of living side by side if all these people are spewing hate against them? That's another hard issue. I mean, I, it would be wonderful if everybody could live together and be happy and get rid of Hamas. That's obviously the goal. Uh, but 
saying, hey, let's just push for a two-state solution tomorrow. Don't worry about this Hamas is so stupid and naive by Biden. And I agree with you on that front, Larry, for that reason. 1-800-848-9222. And we'll continue your calls after the break. You're listening to The Rita Cosby Show. This is The Rita Cosby Show. And we are talking about the very heated protests taking place all over the country. Also, by the way, everybody stay tuned because you know, uh, just in about five minutes or so, I do our Support Our Hero segment which I love doing every night on the Rita Cosby Show, honoring our great veterans and their families. Let's go to Jacqueline, line two. Jacqueline, uh, your thoughts about what's been going on around the country tonight. Things are getting really heated. Rita, two things. I have a rhetorical question, first of all, with regard to the violent protests in D.C. Uh, I wonder if those that were arrested and the rest of them that should also be arrested are going to be rounded up just like those people that peacefully protested on January 6th and have been incarcerated under the most deplorable conditions like that of a third world country for going on three years. They haven't been charged. They haven't been allowed any visitors. They haven't been allowed to see an attorney. I wonder. But the answer to that question obviously is no. And you know, Jacqueline, I thought about the same thing. It's interesting you say that because as I was hearing about what was going on and you heard the audio of uh, just the, you know, the rustling that you could hear with the protesters. I was thinking the exact same thing. And you're right. Go ahead. Didn't want to interrupt you, but I, the, the irony didn't escape me. The other thing is, I have an answer to your question that you posed to Larry. If you want to hold me over, or it's up to you, obviously. You know what? I will hold you over because we love you, Jacqueline. If you don't mind, stick with us for a few minutes. We also have our Support Our Heroes segment. And let's hear Jacqueline's retort to Larry and so much more. So many more of your calls. Rita Cosby is on. The Rita Cosby Show presents Support Our Heroes. And this is the Tunnel to Towers Foundation Support Our Heroes segment with a very powerful story coming from Camp Pendleton, California, where U.S. Marine Corps and Army veteran Major Billy Hall celebrated the 82nd anniversary of his graduation this past Veterans Day from Marine Corps recruit training with the Marines, a Marine Light Attack Helicopter Squadron 267, Marine Aircraft Group 39, 3rd Marine Aircraft Wing, during an honor flight over Camp Pendleton. Veteran Hall and the Marines flew over a park waving at the crowd during the Laguna Beach Veterans Day celebration ceremony. Hall enlisted in the Marine Corps in August 1941, at just 15 years old, just four months before the attack on Pearl Harbor. 
as a Marine and an Army officer, Hall has seen combat in three wars in World War II, the Korean War, and the Vietnam War. Veteran Hall deployed to Guadalcanal in 1942 as a radio man and gunner in a dive bomber and later in the Grumman TBF Avenger torpedo bombers. By age 17, he had flown more than 100 combat missions, and in 1945, he completed 50 anti-submarine and enemy shipping patrol missions. Veteran Hall also retrained as a helicopter pilot during the Vietnam War. He played a critical role in delivering 75 helicopters to Vietnam, and during his nine months in Vietnam, he flew 50 insertion, extraction, supply, and medical evacuation missions. At 97 years old, Hall is believed to be the last living veteran to have enlisted before Pearl Harbor and see combat action in World War II, Korea, and also Vietnam. And Veteran Hall over the weekend proudly said, when people come to me and say thank you for your service, I respond with, you are worth it. And thank you to you and your families for providing me a country worth fighting for. What a powerful and beautiful message from a member of the greatest generation, also of Vietnam and of Korea, a true American hero living among us. And everybody, be sure to support America's military and first responder heroes. Donate $11 a month to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. All you have to do is go to T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Over 40,000 veterans are experiencing homelessness in the United States. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation launched its homeless veteran program last year to combat this injustice. The program provides housing and comprehensive support services to military veterans nationwide. In 2023 alone, Tunnel to Towers is providing housing to over 3,000 veterans. Join the foundation on its mission to end veteran homelessness by donating $11 per month. Head to T2T.org to donate and learn more. That's T, the number two, T.org. And be sure to check out the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, which does so much for our great American heroes. Well, we are talking about just how tough things are right now for law enforcement and also others who are protecting our institutions and our locations tonight. By the way, the Democratic National Committee building on Capitol Hill is coming under attack from some very unruly protesters, pro-Palestinian protesters who are not happy, I guess, with the Democratic Party, uh, that even some members and many of them, most of them, are supporting Israel. Of course, not the Democratic Socialists. They're not. Uh, but the others definitely are. And there were a whole bunch of protesters tonight. There were a number of arrests and things got really, really violent. You can hear uh, just the tussle between police and the protesters. This happened just a little bit ago. And here are some of the sound from their encounters. Thrown. People getting thrown down the stairs. People getting thrown down the stairs. 
Not a quiet night at the Democratic National Committee building there in Washington, D.C. We will keep you posted. Uh, but Jacqueline brought up a great point. Uh, will they be treated like the January 6th folks, some of them who were let into the Capitol? Remember, uh, you see some of the video where they're like, hey, come on in. We'll give you a tour. Oh, yeah. Have a seat over there in the hall. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just don't, you know, put that gavel down. No problem. Yeah. Come on over here. Take a look at this. You know, I mean, give me a break. And yet these guys, it sounded like uh, it was like, uh, you know, the Democratic National Convention. Remember that one years ago in Chicago? This is what it sounded like tonight outside the Democratic National Committee building. Let's go back to Jacqueline. Uh, Jacqueline, go ahead. Your thoughts about that. By the way, before we move on, you wanted to respond to Larry. But uh, when you hear the audio, they're like, oh, people are throwing people down the stairs. This sounds like a wild night at the Democratic National Committee building. Very violent, exactly. And although there was some violence on January 6th, those people that were imprisoned, they weren't even at the January 6th protest. So there should be no reason for them to be unjustifiably imprisoned. But you had asked the question of Larry, what is uh, a a resolution? How do you resolve this situation now um, with Hamas using these innocent Palestinians as human shields? Well, I think very simply, the majority Muslim neighboring countries in the Middle East need to step up to the plate, and they need to offer these people asylum and refuge so that they will feel comfortable continuing to live uh, as they do, you know, under their religion, their Islamic religion, unlike the Tsarnaev brothers, the Boston bombers, who instead of being grateful to being in the United States of America and all that it had to offer to them, how did they repay? They repaid by saying, well, we're uncomfortable and we don't feel comfortable being able to practice our religion. The, the, the country with the most freedom in the entire world, and they repaid by injuring and maiming and killing people. So I, I, think, I think really the majority Muslim countries need to step up to the plate and offer these innocent people refuge. Yeah, you know the problem is, and, and I think you know the answer to this, Jacqueline, they don't want them. And you know the reason is, is it's almost like what's going on on our southern border right now, is you don't know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. And there are a lot of them, like Larry said, uh, that are innocent folks that are sort of caught in the crossfire now that don't want Hamas, but they can't speak out about it. Like the woman that Larry described, um, and I think it was Larry who said this, who put that, you know, somebody was screaming out about Hamas and somebody put their hand on their mouth like, don't say that because you could get shot, you know, because that is the way I'm sure it is. I'm sure they are being, you know, ruled by fear. On the other hand, um, you know what? If you don't give them help and you don't separate them from Hamas, how are you going to know when they're crossing the border? That's why it took so long for Egypt and they're barely opening that border gate because Egypt doesn't want them and Jordan doesn't want them. They don't want the problems in their country that could arise by having some of these people and some of them who may rise up against their governments. But so, I don't think, any, you know? I, don't think any, I don't think any of their leadership is as stupid as Joe Biden and the Obama Biden Clinton crime family. By the way, you're probably right. They're Probably not that stupid. I don't think that's possible. But go ahead. You're right, Jacqueline. (laughs) Their leaders in their countries, I'm sure, could vet these innocent uh, people that are being used as human shields. 
I don't I don't buy that as an excuse. Yeah, I'm just telling you that that's what they have said throughout history, because there were moments where, you know, where they had opportunities to take some of them into their country. They refused. You haven't seen them super cooperative since all of this has happened. Just pointing the finger, many cases against the Israelis, but they don't seem to be offering solutions to letting people through. And you're right. I agree. They probably could do a better job, but they still don't even want to take the risk. So what does that say about us and our wide open borders, Jacqueline? We're in, we're in big time trouble if that's the case. Boy, are we. Uh, Jacqueline, thank you very much. And thank you for sticking around too. We love it. I always love hearing from you. Let's go to Dom, line one. Uh, Dom, what a mess we're in. Yeah. First off, happy Veterans Day to Paul and my salute to his service. On behalf of the DNC HQ protesters. <laughs> That's a very heartwarming <laughs> protest, I'm sure, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Sorry. You know, I, they're not, by the way, they're not violent at all. Those, those people threatening to throw people down the stairs and break into the headquarters. They are nice, peaceful people, right? Yes. They don't deserve anything. They're just nice, sweet, kind people. Yes. Uh, as long as I'm socially distanced from them, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> six miles, so, not six I'll, feet. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll bet you everyone at the headquarters really missed AOC and Rashida Tlaib. They would have controlled this violent Palestinian crowd with a wave of their hands. All she had to say was, AOC, I am AOC, the American Hamas queen. Uh, you know, that's all she needed to do. They would have stopped in their tracks. Actually, so, you know what? you know what would have been interesting, Dom? If AOC or Rashida Tlaib, what would they have done if they were inside, right? Um, and then suddenly this unruly crowd comes out. Would they suddenly like say, hey, wait a minute, let me help you <laughs> to the protesters? Or would they tell them to calm down? I, I honestly don't know. And that saddens me. Uh, and and remember, remember what AOC was saying on January 6th was happening. All of these people came in and she, they wanted to beat her up and say, where is she? Where is she? And I'll bet you all the DNC people in that headquarters were asking, hey, where is AOC? Where is AOC? We need her to help us. <laughs> right. We need, her to, we need her to not join the protest and help us instead. <laughs> Dom, thank you very much. You're terrific. Let's go to Joaquin, line two. Joaquin. Oh, hey, Rita. I want to plagiarize you. As far as uh, Veteran Hall went, yep. wow, wow, wow. Yeah, what an amazing guy, by the way. I mean, but he was an amazing guy. I mean, look at the background that he did. Isn't that, when I was reading his history, this guy deserves to be honored. And how beautiful. I, I love the response that he gave, Joaquin, that I read that when people say thank you for your service, he says thank you for, you know, being a part of this country that's worthy of it, for you being worthy of it. I mean, that what a beautiful just class act. Did, did I catch that right? He enlisted when he was 15? Yes, he enlisted when he was 15. And then a lot of those things that he accomplished by the age of 17. And then he en- then he went in again in Vietnam. I mean, what a hero. I mean, you know, when you hear that, um, you say, boy, uh, there are true heroes living among us. I, I know. Well, I actually knew a guy who was a, a, a Marine veteran from, from World War One, and he was actually one of the first pilots. Oh, wow. He was, wow. I, he was my uncle's father. Oh, how beautiful. How beautiful. But what I wanted to actually, and and I actually knew the guy as as, as a kid. We used to go over to that house. But anyway, uh, what I wanted to mention was that, first of all, this riot in D.C., you will be able to see who's running our country now because they're not going to hunt these people down like they did the January 6th people. And as Jacqueline pointed out, you know, they're not going to be sticking them in jail. And that, and, and then Rashida Tlaib, the pic, what you were talking about, the organization that she was taking pictures with, 
Do you really think that they're going to go after them like they did the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers? Yeah, and, and you're right, they should, because not only that, if you look at it, Joaquin, they've got like the uh, RPGs over the shoulders, I mean, and, and she's sitting there praising them and praising their actions, and part of a group where they're talking about how wonderful October 7th was when those terrorists came in and slaughtered, you know, 1,200-plus of Israelis and raped and beheaded people. I mean, it is it is so unbelievable and apparently you know, she is still part of this, uh, uh, at least she was as of a few hours ago before she got outed. We'll see. But apparently she's still part of this Facebook group. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And, and I did want to make another comment. And unfortunately, I mean, I, I don't mean to armchair quarterback. You know, I mean, I have really no business saying it. But I just kind of feel that by the Israelis waiting to go into Gaza as long as they did, that really didn't do much for the for the hostages. It would seem to me that the quicker you go in and you had that young man who was calling you from there on the first or second day that yep. they were ready, ready to go in. Aaron, I remember. Yep. Yeah, yes, you know, and it, it seems to me that if you have a chance of getting the hostages back, you got to move as quickly as possible. Yeah, and here's what I think happened, Joaquin. I think that the Israelis were ready to go in. Obviously, they had to get the munitions and everything ready because they were. it was a surprise attack, as we know. But that could have taken maybe a few days or a week. And then I think they were waiting, waiting. And I think privately, and and even if you just kind of read the tea leaves, I think the White House and others said to Israel, uh, just wait. You know, they were trying to kind of either negotiate or convince them out of it. Uh, Who knows? You know, don't go in. What are you doing? What's your game plan? Second guessing them. And I think a lot of that caused the delay. I think if Israel felt they had unfettered, uh, opportunities to take out Hamas and didn't feel restricted by America and others because America was suddenly coming out and saying, wait, 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 you know, it has to be talking about the moral equivalency and what they're going to do. I, I think it hate, I think it just hastened, um, uh, them having to wait. Suddenly they're go, 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 go and then stay. And I think they suddenly just put them all on a kibosh and told them to wait. Let's try to resolve it. Then there were some diplomatic discussions. But I think if Netanyahu and that Aaron, who we who called that hero, who was right mm-hmm. there about to go into Gaza. And then remember, we spoke with him actually right after he went in. Uh, but I think a lot of them were just told to, they were like anxious to get going and they didn't really know why they were waiting. And I don't think it was Netanyahu's choice. I think the White House was putting pressure, trying to talk them out of it or get some sort of game plan. And you're right. I think, I think, I also think not only would it have been better for the hostages had they just kind of gone in because then they had, would have had more of an element of surprise to go get those guys and gals that are being held hostage, but also go after the Hamas. I also think Maybe uh, some of the pressure and some of the comments, the propaganda war wouldn't have had all this buildup because there was so much time for people to sort of start these protests against Israel. They wouldn't have had as much time. You know, I think that if they had just gone in and done it um, and really gone full force, obviously they would have gotten some blowback, but it might have been less. And, you know, it might have wouldn't have had the buildup that we've seen. So I think I agree with you, I think. But I don't think it was Israel's choice. I think it was America and Biden specifically probably telling him to go slow. Wait, do this, do that. And that's not the way you do a war. I agree with you, Joaquin. Thank you very much. We'll continue your calls after the break, everybody. 1-800-848-9222. You're listening to The Rita Cosby Show.
It's the Rita Cosby Show. And we will keep you posted as to the fate of the January 6th. No, no, no. I mean the DNC protesters. I'm being facetious because... There is some interesting commonalities uh, in terms of the accusations, but these are definitely violent protesters trying to get into the Democratic National Committee headquarters. And there were Democrat leaders inside that had to be evacuated. Apparently, all of the different House members are now on lockdown. This is a wild situation where pro-Palestinian protesters were trying to break into the headquarters. So... Will they also be put in solitary for a few years like the January 6th protesters? It's a fair question uh, because, boy, they sound like they're totally getting out of hand and shouting some really vile things and pushing police officers. Uh, throw the book at them. Uh, if uh, some of those protesters on January 6th got uh, two years, these guys should get 10 based on that. 1-800-848-9222. Uh, let's go to Sandra, line one. Sandra. Good evening, Rita. I was agreeing with you and Jackie. I was thinking the same thing. I'm secretly happy this is happening because maybe it's going to make everyone realize that people on January 6th, they were peaceful compared to this. But what I wanted to comment about was um, the student who spoke about how she came to this country with her parents or, you know, she wanted a better life for the Jewish people. And um, I want you to know that there's a movie that was released at Hunter College as of today. They, they showed it today. It's called Israelism. And I'm hoping you can ask Alan Dershowitz about this. This movie is very, very anti-Semitic, and it, it, it's, 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 you know, it's created to push the anti Zionist agenda, and and this woman Natalie Masashi, she saw it. She was in UC, UCLA. She saw it there, and um, she said she's a student supporter of Israel. She's like the president, and she said this movie is so bad, and why they're showing it in all these colleges? They showed it at Notre Dame. Um, when she got out of the movie, a man came near her, very close, like really angry. And, and, and it's, it's creating anger and violence. And why would Dr. Rose, that's his name, he's the one who set this movie up. To and now, Sandra, it's called college. Israelism? Is that what you're saying? Israel. Yes. Okay, good. Yes. Uh, I'm going to look into it. Thank you very much. And we'll, we'll uh, keep us posted, too, as you hear more about it. But you're right. Why would you be doing that at this time? That's shameful. Uh, let's go to Steve, line four. Steve, your thoughts. Yes, it seems that you and uh, Jacqueline just stole a lot of our thunder. Uh, I, for one, am thinking uh, it couldn't have happened. To, I'm glad it happened to a, a rogues gallery of Democrats. I'm glad it happened to these Democratic Party bums and hypocrites and quizlings and, tra- and to be frank, traitors. Um, let us see how they squirm to differentiate what occurred tonight with the January 6th group. Yeah, let's see how they handle it. And you're right. uh, It is pretty stunning, and things are getting emotional. And the White House doesn't seem to be doing anything. They're clamping down on it. That's bad news, too.